Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Awesome. Well, this Thanksgiving was Maddie and I's first Thanksgiving as a marriage couple, and it was, it was awesome. Um, don't worry, her parents came up from Texas and her grandparents, so they drove all the way up here to enjoy this thing. And I didn't really know anything really about Thanksgiving. I know how to eat. Um, and apparently there's something in the turkey that you gotta take out before you cook it. Am I right? There's something about that. Um, so I praise God that they were here and they rescued us. Um, but I uh, also wanna report this, that uh, we had 35 workers on Black Friday helping out with the soup kitchen. That was students and adults, that's awesome. <laughs> There's a lot of things that um, our, our students are doing an awesome thing, um, but one of the things that I truly love is our students going out and serving and being actually the feet and hands of Jesus Christ. And our students stepped up to that challenge Black Friday. And um, if you uh, missed it, then that's your fault and I'm praying for you. You know, uh, with Thanksgiving gone, Black Friday is kind of settling in. There's something around the corner. Um, Christmas, right? Yeah, that's just around there. Yay. Well, I actually love Christmas, and it's not because I get stuff. Um, I truly enjoy Christmas because of songs. I love Christmas songs, and it's hilarious because I'll start listening to Christmas music in July and Maddie hates it, you know? She's like, it's not even Thanksgiving. It's not even your birthday, you know? Sing a birthday song. Just don't sing Christmas songs. And, you know, I do the Bing Crosby, snow. And she's like, no, mm-mm. We go on road trips, and she's like, don't you dare play Christmas music. And I just love it. And there's actually a video uh, when I was little, and I'm in my onesie. I don't know if you guys remember that. It's like a overall that you can have with boots. Uh, it was Ghostbusters, if you were wondering. <laughs> and in this video, I, I just woke up, and the night before was my brother's concert, Christmas concert. And my mom's videotaping my brothers and I, and like, how was the concert? Oh, that's great, Bryce, you awake. And then there's me, and I'm in my onesie, and I'm just ready for the camera. And I, I, I jump up, and I'm like, Start singing, tis the season to be jolly. La, 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 la. Well, apparently that's the only line I knew. And she's like, oh, that's awesome, Cody, great. And yeah, I'm just smiling, not hanging out. And tis the season, yay. And then she's like, do you know anything else? And I'm just big smile. Tis the season to, no, there's more to that song. And so she's like, okay, fine. I'm going to go to my other brothers. But in the background, you hear mom, 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 mommy, mama, mother, mother, mom, 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 look at me, mom, mom, look at me. And she's like, okay, all right, Cody, what do you have to say? And there I go again with my one-liner and start singing, tis the season to be jolly. And she got older of that. And apparently still a joke in the family. She brings that out, you know, one of those videos that your parents bring out whenever you bring somebody around. And I'm not embarrassed by it by any means, nor seeking counseling. Um, so, I love Christmas, and, and that video shows uh, my passion for Christmas songs, and in that video, I'm just like, look at me, look how awesome I can sing this one phrase. Look at me, look, I, I have a voice of an angel. So I thought, but if you haven't been with us throughout this process of worship, 
Todd spoke in the first week, talk about worth-ship. And he de- defined that as describing worth or high value to something. And then the, la- uh, the week after that, Cynthia spoke, and she kind of told a little bit of her story. And one of the lines, I want to quote this because it was so great. Cynthia said, total surrender to God in every area of our lives, basically saying, here I am. It's absolutely necessary for us to truly live a 24-7 lifestyle of worship. And then last week, Pastor Taz spoke about gratitude. A lifestyle of worship, the 24-style, a lifestyle of worship is expressing gratitude towards God, which involves expressing thanks to God for who He is and what He has done. And they have made a joke that totally, that today that I'm supposed to say that they're sinners and they need to repent and that, that they're wrong. No, and I'm not here to say that, but here's, if you guys are counting the lights or looking at who's picking their nose, I want you to focus right here for one phrase. And this key phrase, if you leave here with nothing, leave here with this. When we focus our worship on giving God glory, it is our ultimate surrender of our heart to who he is and what he has done for us. I want to define giving God glory. And it comes from Max Anders. He defines it as to give glory means to give social weight to. To define as an important public figure. It means to call public attention to and to proclaim the significance of someone. When we receive the blessings of God, when we, when we are the recipients of all that he wants to give us, we give social weight to God. We call public attention to him, and we proclaim the significance of who he is and what he does. If I can define what the glory God wants is to be praised for his praiseworthiness, to be exalted for his greatness and goodness. He wants to be appreciated for what he is. And now that sounds great on paper, doesn't it? We're like, yeah, 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 it's great, yeah, whatever. But if we really dig down deep, it's hard to exalt God for his greatness because we want our lifestyle to be exalted in our greatness. Right? We think worship really has everything to do with us and God be the receiver. The problem with that is that God doesn't need our worship. We sing a song, God creator. If he created us, then he defines what he needs and what he doesn't. And worship he didn't create us for him to be oh, and high and boasted. No, he created because he loved us, not because he was lonely. He had the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with him, ladies and gentlemen. He doesn't need our worship. Which, kind of like, huh, kind of Debbie Downer. But here's the best thing about that. Because he doesn't need our worship, when we approach sin, we, we should not approach sin as we let God down because we were never holding God up. God holds us up. He doesn't need our worship. He loves it, 
but he doesn't need it because he is holding us up, not us holding him up. And I want to explain that just a little bit. And I want to go to Genesis 2.15. So if you have your Bibles, let's go um, Genesis 2.15. And it said, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Verse 16. The Lord said, The Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. God put man in the garden to cultivate it. He gave man a purpose. He gave man work. So work is not bad. It was created to be good. It was awesome. Men can do anything. The man could do anything. He could ride on a dinosaur. Fellas, he didn't care what temperature it was outside because he was walking around naked. He didn't care. He's like, yep, what up? Didn't care what he looked like. He had nothing to compare it to. He was just hanging out, hanging out with God. He could ride a dinosaur. He could do a backflip off of a cliff. There's only one thing that he could not do, and that was to eat from the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And then a woman came around. Before, okay, hold on. <laughs> they enjoyed each other, ladies and gentlemen. It was the first marriage. It was good. It was pure. It was awesomeness. They, too, can walk around naked and enjoy it. Students, if your parents did that, walk around naked, the CPS would be called. You know, it was hence that they were cooler before you came around. So if you want to get in that argument. But yeah, Adam and Eve walked with God together, hang out by a river, and it was awesomeness. It was great. It was good. But then, man changed. In Genesis 3, 4 through 5, there came a serpent. God made the serpent. It wasn't as he was surprised. God made the serpent crafty. You need to know that. It wasn't the devil. The devil did not create anything. He cannot create because only God is the creator. It's given an attribute to the devil that the devil does not have position over. So God created this crafty animal. And he spoke to the woman. And this is what he says. The serpent said to the woman, you shall surely, you shall surely will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open. And you will be like God knowing good and evil. And that's kind of when things change for us. That's when our problems kind of came forth. What really was resonated in mankind came out right after that conversation with the serpent. And we ate the forbidden fruit. And at that time, what that signifies, it wasn't that God said, do this, and we went against him, that that was the sin. No, what happened was man desired God's job. The serpent says, you shall surely be like God. Now, before we give them some, some crap about this, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Us wanting somebody's position. Adam and Eve had good intentions. Let's think about this just for 
just a little segue here. If they could be like God, they thought, I can please God 24-7 because I would know good and I would always do good if I knew what really good was. So we can't say that they were idiots. No, when we think about it, when they were approached, like, oh, I can surely be like God. God will like me more if I knew what good was. Kind of different spin. They had good intentions, just as we have good intentions sometimes, right? But yeah, sounds familiar, us wanting a higher pay grade, right? Us wanting somebody else's position, us wanting the glory and respect and adoration that we deserve. Because life is really just about us, right? It's all about me, 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 me. When I was little, me, mom, mom, mommy, mom, mom, me. Look at me, look, look. And here's the problem that we saw in the garden that is still existing today. The problem is we all desire God's job. We all do. And I know this because of me. And I know this because of us. I mean, seriously, have you ever drove down the street and somebody cut you off and you didn't want to blow them up with your mind? I'm the only one. I'm the only one who gets mad that somebody cuts them off. Okay, all right. Not use that in second service. Okay. Have you ever wanted to change somebody? Ah, there we go. Have you ever wanted to control your boss? I can say that because my boss is gone. <laughs> have you ever wanted a vacation to go exactly as planned? If you say yes to any of those things, then you have desired God's job. So how do we get out of this funk of us, us, and how do we shift it and worship to him and give him glory, rather us try to consume it? And I think that is in point one, we need to intentionally seek out his presence rather than his position. And I get that from Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 5. So if you want to turn there with me, that'd be awesome. And it says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another, said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And pray over it. Heavenly Father, God, reading your word, I hope and pray that right now, God, that we are seeking out your presence, rather our position and our glory. Lord, as I read uh, Isaiah and he saw you, Father, I hope and pray that you will be revealed through this message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna describe these seraphims which means actually fiery angel. Let's imagine these angels, for just for a sec here. These angels, is, their essence is fire. They, the Hebrew word seraphim is fiery angels. They're on fire, six wings on fire. 
I don't know about you, but that's kind of crazy. I, I, I guess I'm the only one. Fiery angels, and it's not because their attitude was spiteful. It's the fact that if you think hot burned you fire, yes, that was what this angel was, and six wings of it. Fire, fiery angels. And the most important about these angels was not oh, exactly what they looked like. It was what they did with their feet and their wings and what they said. With two sets of wings, they covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they, they flew. You know why they had to cover their face? Because if they looked at God's grace, it would melt their eyes. The fiery angel could not look at God because if he did, he shall surely die and be melted. What? A fiery angel can't look at God's glory because he would be melted. My question to you, is God's grace melting something away from you? Is God's grace melting your pride, your glory? And you know if it is, because then God's glory be the very center of every fabric of how you live. You'd be wanting to reflect Christ rather than you trying to reflect yourself. And what I love about this is that when they say holy, 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 that it's not about alliteration or repetition there. When you see that in the Hebrew terms, it's giving value to something. When they say holy, holy, it's because God's glory is the only glory that will fill the whole earth. How many of you are trying to fill your glory with your earth? Your job, huh? Is your job your glory? Is your CEO position your glory? Is your yacht the CEO of your life? Is the kids, is it your car? What are you trying to show? What, are, what provides your self-salvation? To me, there's gotta be something better than what I can do. There's gotta be something better than what I can express or what I can work up to. These angels are not known for the looks. Again, they're known for their, yet prof- their simple yet profound decorations and singing about how great God is. What are you known for? Are you known for your looks? Are you more willing to work on what the outside is rather than what the inside needs? Because I know I do that. But ultimately, we need to give God the glory he deserves. One other thing I love about these angels is when they spoke in the thresholds of God's temple shook. Where he is currently sitting at right now, these angels speak and the doors of God's temple shake. See, I know I yell, I I have the ability to yell, the kids call it military voice because I was in the military. And I could say something. I can say stop, and the middle school students are silent. I know that's 
probably impossible that you're thinking of, but it does work. But I've never yelled in battle or anywhere and any doors shake. But when the angels speak, the foundations of God's temple shake. But yet, they still have to cover their eyes because God's glory is too powerful for them. These angels with six wings have to bow down because of God's presence. They were seeking presence rather than position. And it's common for us to pay attention to the ones who speak the loudest, isn't it? See, some of us actually live by that. Well, if I complain the most, then I get the most out of things, right? I mean, how many times do you hear that? Oh, just go complain to them. They'll change their mind. Your kids do that, right? Mom, can I? Mom, can I? Dad, dad. Well, mom doesn't do it. I'm going to dad, dad, dad. Can I? Candy bar? No. Okay. Right? Whoever complains the most, whoever speaks the loudest would be the ones that would be heard. But again, is that giving God glory or is it you seeking his position? You know, after I look at the angels and reading scripture about it, reading commentaries about it, I realize I'm really not that cool. I mean, the kids may think I'm cool and that's, you know, good for me. I don't know about you, but hopefully when you read about these angels, you realize your position. If the angel who speaks and speaks and the foundations of heaven shake, if the angel with six wings that is consumed by fire, if what they enjoy the most is singing holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and giving God glory, what does that say about us and what we should do? I love how Isaiah approached this. He approached it in verse five saying, woe is me for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King and Lord of hosts. One of the commentaries that I've read says, in the presence of God's holiness, Isaiah was not struck by his humanity or his morality, but by his own purity impurity, the uncleanness of the nation of Judah in the sight of the king, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah could not join the angels in praising God until his lips was purified. So step two, point two, confess sin upwardly. And let's be real with one another. If God, if we could all examine each other's thoughts our hearts, our actions, we would realize that we really aren't that good, are we? Like I said, if a person cuts me off, I'm more like, I'm gonna blow you up with my mind rather than like, oh, okay, have a great day. Say hi to the kids. No, if we really examine our hearts, we realize we're really not that good. And Isaiah says it. He was honest with God. He says, woe is me. And when you see that in Hebrew, is forgive me. For I am ruined. That phrase right there, ruined in Hebrew is utterly broken. Not have a few parts over here, but right there. Utterly destroyed. I am 
utterly destroyed when it compares to your glory. God, forgive me to be in this presence. How do you approach the throne of God? I would say that most of us think we're entitled to approach the throne of God. Isaiah says, no, woe is me, because I should not be here. There's no, I shouldn't, I am unclean. Warren Wiersbe says, a true vision of God and his holiness allows, allows and makes us realize our sinfulness and failure. Job saw God repented, Job 42, verse 6. Peter cried out, I am a sinful man, when he saw Christ's power in Luke 5, 8. Saul, who became Paul, Saul's own righteousness was but garbage next to the glory of Christ, and that's in Philippians. When believers have a true experience with the Lord, it does not make them proud. It humbles and breaks them. When was the last time you've been humbled and broken? And that's good. Because then you can give God glory. When you realize your position, your position compared even to the angels, your position is woe is me for I am ruined. If a prophet of God says that, I think so also should we. Another commentary says, the necessary first step before any true confession, before we can confess upwardly, is having an understanding of the glory and holiness of the Almighty God who rules heaven and earth. And what I love about Isaiah, you know, when he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, but he also dwells among people with unclean lips. Isaiah wasn't like, well, those pe- I'm better than those people over there. They do more, they're worse than I am, God. No, he puts them right with them. I, I am unclean and I live amongst unclean. He didn't compare himself to sinners. He compared himself to God. When he compared himself to God, he realized his positions, woe is me. Don't we do it kind of do it the other way, don't we? Don't we like, well, I'm better than them, so God, you better like me because I'm way better than that guy over there. I mean, come on. Seriously. No, Isaiah's like, uh, I am right, I am the worst. As Peter says, I am a sinner. Paul even says in scripture that I am the chief of sinners. Paul, the apostle Paul. A 24-7 worshiper who gives God glory will say something like this. My opinion of myself doesn't matter. What matters is where I stand before God. Here I am breathing and I eat the air and the food that he's provided me but yet I continually forget his display of glory all around me. What right do I have to be here? When you realize that every day is a blessing, you're more, more likely to give God glory. But when you think you're entitled to the day, it's very hard to get glory. Just as it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And number three, if you realize your position and seek out his presence, rather his position, if you confess upwardly that you've been lusting after his job rather than his presence, then you are more likely to worship the revealed. I love when Isaiah says, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. 
And Jesus says in John 12, 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory of him who spoke of him. Isaiah saw Jesus. Who is the Lord that he saw on the throne? It was Jesus Christ. And we see that in John. Who, who did he repent to? Who did he confess to? It was Jesus. What was the presence he was looking for? He was seeking out Jesus. Isaiah sought out the presence and confessed his brokenness because he saw Jesus. If you really want to focus, if we all want to focus our worship on giving God glory, it's the ultimate surrender of our heart to who he is and what he has done through his son, Jesus Christ. If you want to get down to the basics of how you can give God glory, God's glory dwelt among us, and it was through Jesus. And you see that in John when he says that the word dwelt among us and it showed his glory, Jesus. How do we give God glory? You focus your life on Jesus. If you want, and it's great about this, is that when Isaiah said that he saw this, we too can have that moment. We can have that interaction with God because of Jesus, through Jesus. We can experience God's glory. Most of us, some of us have already experienced that. So the takeaway, I got some questions for you. Number one, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? If you want to be this 24-7 worshiper who gives God glory, it starts with a relationship with Jesus. You gotta know Jesus. Jesus says the only way to get to the Father in heaven is through me. My question is, do you know Jesus? Can you ultimately say that, yes, I've seen God's glory through Jesus? Or have you just been walking through the motions and hoping that your emotions will actually get you to God? It's surrender. As Cynthia, I'll go back to what Cynthia said, and it's surrendering. It's surrendering your life to Jesus and allow him to work through you. And so if you've already made that commitment, you're like, Cody, I've already done that. All right, Jesus and I, we're homeboys, we're good. Then my question is, who are you listening to? Your voice or his? Are you trying to be that angel who speaks in the foundations of heaven, shake? Are you trying to be like Isaiah and says, woe is me, I'll shut up and listen, God. How are you approaching the throne of God? Another question, do you think you're entitled to approach the throne of God? Because sin, God cannot be near sin because he is holy. Holy means separated from is entitlement what drives you? Is entitlement what gets you up in the morning? Or is it the fact that God gave you breath in your lungs and that he's allowing your heart to breathe? I don't know about you, but that I can give thanks for every day that I wake up. I'm gonna pray as the band comes back up. I wanted to invite you guys in a spirit of worship. There's a song that we're going to sing and it was based from Isaiah 6. And what's great, 
I hope and pray that the Spirit moves within you this morning. When you hear the band sing, holy, holy. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the individuals who show up to hear your word, to hear you speak through Isaiah, to, to hear what you have to say, God. And I pray, God, that if someone here doesn't know you, I pray that, that Lord, may they approach me, one of the elders, whatever, whoever is beside them, and ask them, how do you have a relationship with Jesus? I want that. I want to give God glory. And God, for those who have a relationship and who has been struggling and been trying to work on this on their own, Father, I pray that you prepare their heart to surrender, utterly surrender their lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.